Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 9th, 2022. It is currently 8.58 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the sanctuary, the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. It is time. I don't even know what to say here. It is time. I'll say it this way. It is time for me to do what I have been asked to do by a listener. This is probably not a something I would have chosen to do on my own, but someone has asked me to do this, so I'm doing the best I can to to give the listener what they have asked for and hopefully to do so in a way that will be very beneficial and helpful. They asked me to review a sermon. Now, that is something that I would have a tendency to do, but I tend to either choose the sermons randomly, like I just don't have, a, I'm just going through like a, the Edify Christian podcast app or some other sermon app and just go, oh, there's a sermon. Let's review that one. Either I choose them randomly or I choose them like I, something that we need to do here at the beginning of 2022. Um, we're going to try to review some sermons from some of the most influential churches uh, currently in the United States of America. We have a new list of the 100 most influential churches in America. Uh, so, And some of them are the fastest growing churches in America. So we want to listen to those sermons to see what's going on in those churches. So we definitely want to do that. But in this particular case, Someone sent me a sermon and said, can you review this? And they gave me a little bit of background. And this is a sermon that's coming to uh, to us from a clearly charismatic theological perspective. And I have to say that because you, anyone who knows me knows my, can we say, strong displeasure at charismatic theology I do not like charismatic theology in any, one, any way, shape, or form. I believe it is dangerous. I believe it is hurtful. I believe it has destroyed many lives. I believe it's something that's just absolutely ungodly and hurtful. And so I, 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 I at times will review sermons from a charismatic theological background if there is a, like there's something going on that I need, that we need to talk about. Maybe there's a big charismatic conference or supposedly there's a new revival breaking out in some charismatic church. Sometimes I'll do so to keep us, to keep us up to date. But typically I don't choose sermons from charismatic churches just because I know that it's, it's going to be an unpleasant experience. It's, it's just going to be very frustrating and I'm, and I'm going to have to say more negative things than I can say anything else. And sometimes I don't know how constructive that is, but in this particular case, someone asked me to do this, so that's what we're doing. So, we've done part one. I give a lot of background. Let me just give a couple of things just so that you know. I don't listen to the sermons in advance, so I never know what's coming. So, in many cases, I don't. I may not. I may start listening to a sermon and don't even know it's coming from a charismatic perspective because I don't listen to them in advance, right? But in this particular case, I know. So I have to be very transparent with everyone going, yeah, I'm reviewing a sermon and I already know that there's going to be much I disagree with, but I'm trying to do my very best to lay aside already kind of my built-in bias and try to listen and to be as fair as I can 
with and, and focus on how the scriptures are being handled. Not just saying, hey, this is a charismatic church, so everything they say has to be wrong. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to come at it from that perspective. I'm trying to come at it from the perspective, okay, this is a charismatic church. I disagree with their theology, but maybe they will say some things in this sermon that will be very good and very beneficial. And if they do so, I will be very open and honest with that. So I, I don't listen. So I don't know what's coming. And the reason I don't do that is because I don't like to, this to be rehearsed and be like a production. I want it to feel like, hey, oh, you want to listen to a sermon? Well, let's listen to it together. And we listen to it in real time. And then I offer thoughts, critique, analysis. And uh, that, that's what we try to do. So I don't know what's coming. I have no idea. But I do know the theology that is going, getting ready to be put forth. I'm, I'm against that. So in that sense, I'm already... I, I kind of know what's coming in that way, um, but I don't know what's going to actually be said. So I just like everyone to kind of have that, uh, you know, I want everyone to have an accurate understanding of what is transpiring here in this this kind of mini series that we're doing on this sermon. Now, this is what we've heard so far. A couple of things. First, it's a female preacher. Now, I don't know if she's the pastor of the church. I don't know anything about that. Now, you probably already know, if you've listened to me for any length of time, I, re- I don't believe women should be pastors. I believe the Bible completely what does not allow that, that the Bible would condemn that. But uh, what I'm trying to do is, is, because I could just turn it on and go, well, it's a woman pastor, so just everything is wrong. I, but I'm not trying to do that because someone asked me to review the sermon. So I'm just setting that fact aside. I'm just setting that aside. I'm like, okay, She's a preacher. Now, I'm just going to focus on not on the fact that she's a female. I'm going to focus on this. How is she going to handle the scriptures? How is she handling the scriptures? What is her theology? And we've gotten off to a very, very, very rough start in this sermon. Because basically, she's taking the she's taken the Jewish calendar, taken the numbers for the current year on the Jewish calendar, and, and then say that each number represents something spiritually using numerology and therefore God is telling us these things. I I was unaware that God is speaking to us today through the numbers of the Jewish calendar. I thought God speaks to us today through his word. So not only this is see this is what happens in the charismatic world. Once you say that God is speaking to people outside of the Bible, right? That you've got, yes, God speaks to you through the Bible, but he also speaks through visions and dreams and maybe an audible voice or a still small voice, whatever the case may be. Once you say God is speaking outside of the Bible, it's impossible to in any way, shape or form control it because now we have a charismatic pastor saying God is also speaking to us through the numbers of the Jewish calendar. So you take each number, what does those numbers represent according to numerology? And this is what God is speaking. This is what God is saying to us. And you're kind of like, so why, why am I even reading the Bible? Why, why am I even looking to the Bible? But even though God is speaking to us by the numbers of the Jewish calendar, he's also going to speak to us now through the book of Acts. So the sermon is from the book of Acts. It appears Acts chapter one, it, it seems to be. And so we're going to just jump back in. We're, we've got about 25 minutes left to go in the sermon. We know these sermon reviews can take forever uh, because I, I, I interrupt a lot trying to break them down. But we're just going to jump back in. Remember, it's always abrupt. I always hate part ones are so easy 
because it's just smooth. And then the part two, the part three, the part four, it's always so, it's just, we have to kind of just jump right back in. And it always seems a little disjointed. And, and I don't like that. It, I, I feel like I'm a little, feel like it, it feels like it messes it up for me. So when I go back and listen to them, I'm like, ah, oh, that didn't really, wasn't a smooth transition. But all I really can do is just walk us up. And I say this every time to the edge of the pool and we just jump in. There's no trying to ease down on the ladder into the water. We just got to jump in. And, and it, well, you need to go back and listen to the previous part so that maybe it will, the transition will be a little smoother. Are you ready? The book of Acts. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about what's going to happen. But here we, I mean, the, the numerology and God speaking to us basically through the, the numbers of the Jewish calendar, if that wasn't already, I mean, look, here, here's what I will tell you. The church that we're listening to, obviously is a church I would never be able to attend. We have a female pastor with charismatic theology, with the idea that God is speaking to us outside of the Bible, including the numbers of the Jewish calendar, and she's using the Passion Translation, which I don't even call a translation. It shouldn't even be called a Bible, and we've done many a programs about that. All of that right there is, is, is well, it tells me that you should run for your life just before we even get to the actual preaching. But let's get to the actual preaching because, again, my bias, well, actually, none of those have anything to do with my bias. Woman pastor, I believe that's a scriptural issue. I believe the scripture would condemn that. The passion, whatever it's called, the passion, I don't want to call it a translation. The passion thing, um, I think, can easily be condemned by just doing a, do, a little research in the origin of it and how it handles the text. So that, again, has nothing to do with bias. God speaking outside of the Bible destroys sola scriptura and scripture alone. That has nothing to do with a bias. So I think none of that has to do anything with a bias. That just has to do with these are problems that any Christian should have. Now, we'll get to the preaching, and we may come to different opinions here. You may think the preaching is awesome. I may think the preaching is horrible. We'll have to just see because uh, obviously sometimes it's a little that there's a little bit of opinion that can come in and how we judge preaching. I'm not going to try to base it off an opinion. I'm going to just basic base it off, not style, not the way it's communicated, but I'm going to try to base it off how the scriptures are handled. That is objective, right? Style is subjective. Some people like my style of preaching. Some people hate my style of preaching. That is a subjective thing, right? And, and, and every Christian who sometimes judges preaching, they judge it more based off its style than the content. Well, just because you don't like the style doesn't mean the preacher should change the style to accommodate you because you're not the only person listening. So the issue is what is the content? So we, we don't want to judge this based off style. We want to judge it based off how the scriptures are being handled. So are you ready? Here we go. Again, well, I'm not giving any of the names of the church or anything because I was asked not to do that. So I'm not giving any information because I was asked not to do that. So that's what we're doing. All right, here we go. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. The old is gone. Amen. We can't go back there. The new is before us. And so we have to realize what is that. That is what he's saying. So again, they're waiting in the upper room. Let's just look. 
Okay, now this is a this is a big emphasis here. It appears this is what I'm guessing. This sermon was preparing everyone for a new year, and which is very common in charismatic theology. It's always like it's God's doing a new thing, a new blessing, a new move of the Spirit. It's new. It's new. It's new. It's everything. It's always something about something new, something exciting. A new thing is happening. A new thing is happening to keep that excitement, that that kind of thing going. And why it's always emphasized, I don't know. I've been listening to charismatic preaching off and on since the 80s and I think I've I don't I, I it almost feels like every charismatic sermon I hear God's doing a new thing it's a new move it's a new revival it's new it's new it's new it's new it's new it's new and it's like it's just the same sermon preached 50 billion times it's nothing new it's you saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over as Christianity just continues as charismatic Christianity just continues as it's been continuing so what's the new thing Thing. But it's a new year, so we got to get excited about a new move of the Spirit because that'll that'll newly motivate us. I, I don't know. I, it's just now there is a little bit of my own personal bias. It's just because at some points it's just like okay, what is it? It's like you're saying words, but what do they actually mean in reality? Like it's just like I'm saying these things about something new. Everyone gets excited and applause applauds, but what what does it mean? So. I don't know, but here we are. We're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. And okay, I'm not going to say anything right now. I mean, I already have a feeling where I know where this is going and it's, 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 it's going to bother me from a hermeneutical standpoint all day. Let me just say this again. Whenever you read anything in the Bible, especially when you read a, like a historical narrative, right? Where it's telling you about, here's what they did. Here's what happened. Always remember, very important principle. In some cases, that historical narrative is simply there to describe what happened. It's not prescribing what we are to do or even hinting in any way, shape, or form that the same event can be repeated if we follow a certain list of rules. This is very common in charismatic theology. The book of Acts, we can have the day of Pentecost again. And I will say no, the day of Pentecost was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was pictured in the Old Testament. And it was fulfilled in the way that it was fulfilled in Acts. It's not that we can have it happen again. It happened once. It was a historical fulfillment of what it was pictured in the Old Testament Feast of Pentecost. That, 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 that's the way we should understand it. But they think it's something that can be repeated. And I've heard it now a million times in, in charismatic churches. It, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Even a local charismatic church where I worked with someone who went to the church, they would they, they, they have sermons where they were like, you know, one day people are going to drive past this church and they're going to see the tongues of fire, you know, on, uh, you know, above the building. And they're going to know that Pentecost had come again. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. So now not, maybe you could say this wasn't very spiritual, but I would use, I would give the person a hard time a lot when they would come to work. I'm like, so I drove by your church today. I still don't see those tongues of fire. When are they going to show up? When are they going to show up? Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I'm being very honest. But again, charismatic theology at times drives me crazy. So I, I have a feeling that this is where this is going. But remember, I don't listen in advance, so I could be very wrong. Maybe they're just going to say, Here's the historical narrative and here are the lessons we can learn from it. Or maybe they're going to say, here's what happened and we can make it happen again. We'll see. 
Let's listen. At that, and then go through the points. You'll notice I've got a little uh, theme going here. The all beginning with the letter E just happened to be that way. So the first one is that he's exhaling, breathing, fresh wind, fresh anointing, doing a new thing. Amen. So we left off last week. I'll just recap a little bit. In Acts 1, I'm reading and going through this so far in the Passion Translation. Right after he spoke, Acts 1, verse 9, right after he spoke those words, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappear into a cloud. As they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside him. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up in the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way that you saw him ascend. Then the disciples left the Mount of Olives, returned to Jerusalem less than a mile away. Arriving there, they went into a large second room, floor room to pray. And then we read about those who were present. And then picking up from there in verse 14, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. Talk about perfect song. Like always, isn't the Holy Spirit wonderful? I'm so thrilled that we never have to figure it all out. and It's not by trying so hard. When God is doing something by his Holy Spirit, we just get to come along on the ride. Amen. Is where is he going? What is he doing? Uh, we just want to go along. And, and one thing, no exceptions, we all need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to receive and get this fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, if we're about to enter a new era, I'm more aware than ever, this is it. This is showtime. No exceptions. We all need the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you receive power. No exceptions. We all need them. There's some denominations, some people, some Christians going, uh, they don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit because, you know, we can't be in control and we don't want to be in control and the Holy Spirit wants to take control. But what does that look like? We're never quite sure. All right, I would like to know which denominations don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit. I would really like to know the name of these denominations, and the, and I would like to see their doctrinal statements of the denominations that don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit, because I think every denomination deals with the Holy Spirit. It's just that we may not view the Holy Spirit the way you view the Holy Spirit. So that doesn't mean they don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit. It may mean that there's a difference in and understanding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So it's not fair to accuse, there's these, first of all, if you're going to say there's these denominations, name them. Name the denominations, pull up the doctrinal statement and say, see, they have no doctrine of the Holy Spirit. They just deny the Holy Spirit. Like what, what denomination says, hey, the Holy Spirit, not even a part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, give me a break. Everyone talks about the Holy Spirit. Everyone talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's just weird. Like we need the Holy Spirit in this new era. I know, listen, you're not a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have to be in, it being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, 
this gets into discussions within certain forms of charismatic theology because some char- there there's a lot of different ways of looking at this within the charismatic world. There's not complete unity here, but some would say uh, that there would be this idea that you can be saved and then you receive the Holy Spirit after salvation. And it is evidenced by speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, it's a sign that you've never received the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you need to seek and receive the Holy Spirit so that you can, that it's subsequent to salvation. You can be saved, then you've got to get the Holy Spirit. Some will say, well, no, you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit. But if you really want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you really want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if you really want the power of the Holy Spirit, well, then you have to speak in tongues. And, and, and there's all these different variations. So we could break down all of the variations. I just don't think it's fair to say that, hey, there's denominations out there who don't, who don't, 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 want, don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit. Everyone deals with the Holy Spirit. It's just some would say you get saved and you are immediately indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It happens at salvation. Then you got some in the charismatic world that says, no, you are, get saved, and then you have to receive the Holy Spirit after salvation. And some say, well, you receive some of it, but then you do get the full power of it. There's all kinds of different opinions out there about the Holy Spirit. So it's I, I just sometimes charismatics tend to kind of give this mentality that, hey, you people who are not charismatics, I don't care about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, you know, I, I think maybe... That's not very accurate. Maybe, maybe it's better to say there are others who have far different doctrines about the Holy Spirit than we do. I think that's accurate. It's not that they don't want to deal with it. They just have a different theology in regards to it. Of what he's going to do. So it, that's exciting, isn't it? Uh, so there's no exceptions. How do they respond? That's what we've been looking at. Our responses. They all have a choice. We all have a choice this morning. When we hear the word, it's what are we going to do with it? Amen? What are we going to do about it? And we can't in our own strength. We need the, the Holy Spirit. We admit that. We have no exceptions. We all need the Holy Spirit. But the response is expectation. And these things, I'm not going to just give you these points uh, as if they don't mean anything except in history. We need to respond to the Holy Spirit with great expectation. What is that going to look like? Amen? And if we don't have it in ourselves, we can go to the Holy Spirit and we can ask him for that because that's who he is and he's on the inside of us. So the word tells us to stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. Amen. So no exception. I need you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is excited. He's, he's, he's full of expectation of what you're going to do with it. Amen. And so we live in this expectation. What is God going to do? They didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. What was that going to... They had no idea, no reference point. Amen? And that's what's a little bit... Uh, maybe a reason why people don't want to follow the, the fluidness of the Holy Spirit. Is we, other than expectation, we don't know for sure where the river is going to go. Amen? We don't know for sure what that's going to look like. But we can stand ready, ready to respond, ready to receive. Standing like you're, you know, when they have a reception, 
when they introduce people and there's a reception of people and there's introduction, I believe, Holy Spirit, I want to reintroduce you to the Holy Spirit. I want to reintroduce myself. Holy Spirit, what new thing, what is this new thing going to look like? I'm not... I'm not really sure what to say because I don't really know exactly what she's talking about. Okay, there's an expectation, an expectation because because the people in Acts had an expectation. So we should have an expectation that the Holy Spirit's going to do something. Okay, I, I don't know. What, what does that mean? I got, I got to have an expectation, an expectation. What, what, am I, what am I expecting here? The Holy Spirit's going to do something, okay? Based off, I, I, I don't really know, like, okay, let, well, all I can do is just let her move, hopefully, into the text, and I kind of get some idea. I don't really know what to say here because I don't really understand exactly what point she's trying to make, but but at the same time, I've cut her off. So let's 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 go a little further and see if I can get a better understanding of now, for some of you who come from charismatic backgrounds, you may, this may be very common language and you know, you kind of get an idea of what, what's being talked about. This is like, I'm just kind of like, what? So I'm expecting what? what? What am I expecting based off what? See, I'm reading because they were all in prayer and supplication that they were expecting. Were they expecting because Jesus told them something was going to happen? Right? He tells them, so, I mean, we're, I, I don't know. I, I think their expectation would come from the fact that God's word told them something, told them something for them and their specific historical situation. Am I, am I supposed to think that I'm supposed to expect something similar based off what happened in Acts, even though this is not a promise for necessarily specifically that the, what's getting ready to happen is going to happen for us in the same way? I, I don't know. Right, let's continue. Amen. Do you know, I look back and I think, oh my goodness, how many times has he blown me away, blown me away, blown me away? And I just go, I love it. I love it. That's why I'm full of expectation. Because he only has good gifts. Amen. The only thing that he has is good. Even when our initial response is, oh no, God, I don't want to do that. We just know enough about the Holy Spirit that we push past all of this and we say, it's going to be good. Amen? It's going to be good. I'm full of expectation. I'm ready to receive what you have, what new things that you have for me. I position myself with an eagerness and an expectation. And then second, they respond with emotion. Emotion, it says... They were united in prayer, gripped, gripped with one passion, emotion. All right. They, okay. Acts 1.14, they, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Where is it talking about gripped with one passion? What in the world? Okay, let me... Let me do something. This has to be coming from that passion, whatever thing she's reading from. 
Let me just go here because this is an entire point of her sermon is that they have expectation, but they have emotion and she's basing it off this verse. So this, this is a major point and she's saying that it's coming from the text. So therefore, I'm not here trying to be nitpicky. This is a big statement when you're saying that this, this is the point you're getting from the actual text, right? Acts 1.14, I'm going to go from every English translation I can find. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. New Living Translation, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary. ESV, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Berean Study Bible, with one accord, they all continued in prayer. Berean Literal Bible, and they were steadfastly continuing with one accord in prayer. I don't see anything about they were gripped with one passion or, or some emotion. I don't, I don't, where I see a dedication, a discipline to prayer, a devoting themselves to prayer. I, I, where do you get emotion? Now, remember, this is important because you're pre- this person is preaching God's word and they're saying, hey, everyone, in Acts 1.14, what you need to learn here is that you need to have emotion because they were gripped with passion. And I don't know where, what, why, like, may, may, are we missing something in the Greek? Is she going to say, well, in the Greek, this is where we find it? Or she just found a, a quote unquote paraphrase that used words that she liked. That's not how you preach. That's not how you do teaching. What does the text say with the words that are used? Not finding someone putting words there that aren't even in the text. That's not, oh, okay. That's that's a mishandling of God's word. That's a mishandling of God's word. Let's continue. Passion. Passion is the fuel, amen? Passion is the fuel that just drives us on. Without the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit fueling us on, we have nothing to run on. We're dependent on the, that emotion to stir ourselves up in the most holy faith. They're gripped with expectation and passion, gripped by one passion. They had known Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm going to send another one just like me. What is that going to look like? What is that going to feel like? What is that going to expectation? But the passion, gripped by one passion, it's like a yearning, a longing, a desiring. Amen? And so today, if we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to respond with the same. All right, so here we go. All right, now, from a theological perspective, this is just turning now into law. Because it's saying, if you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, hey, you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? There's this new era that's about to begin, and it's going to require the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you have to have expectation, and you have to have emotion. You have to do that, then you get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So now this is becoming commands of what you must do based off some really weird handling of Acts chapter 1 and weird handling of a historical narrative. But now, hey, it's something you must do. And, and, and I am not in any way trying to criticize her. This is a danger of every, for every pastor. I don't care from churches with good theology or churches with bad theology. There is this tendency that when we preach, 
we feel like we can't just explain the text because people will be like, well, well, I didn't, I didn't get anything out of it. So you've got to start dropping. You need to do this. You need to do this. This is what you must do. Step one, step two, step three, because if I don't give people something practical, then I don't feel like I really had a good sermon. And there's a very high probability. And I've noticed this. If I just go through a very like academic, work through a text. Okay, this seems to be what this is referring to. This is what this is referring to. But I don't really give any of those practical, like, here's what you must do kind of points. There's a high probability that no one will even say it was a good sermon. But if I drop in some of those practical, th- oh, that was convicting. And that that gave me something to really, then, then you'll get that kind of praise that it was a good sermon. Well, then once you get praised for a certain way of preaching, you have a tendency to keep trying to do that kind of preaching because you want to continue to get praised. This is a, a, a major problem that pastors have to deal with. We have to deal with this. But I know sometimes when I'll be working through something, I'll be like, man, okay, I got to find something practical here. I got to find something practical here. Because, if I do, because you can just almost see the eyes, you know, the, the, you can just see the lights going out in everyone's eyes. They're just like, okay, yeah, all right. Like, okay, you're giving me a bunch of facts. You're giving me a bunch of, you know, and 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 when that happens, you almost, okay, I gotta, I gotta drop in something here. And it's just, you've gotta, you gotta stop yourself from doing that as a preacher. You just, you gotta, we, we saw this, if you did our Bible study exercise in the book of Micah, we saw this in, when we reviewed a sermon uh, on the book of Micah. He had been working through the text in a kind of very academic way. This represents this, this represents that, this represents this. And then when he gets to the end of the sermon, the last part of uh, Micah chapter 5 is what God is going to do. God is going to do this. God is going to do this. God is going to do this. And he flipped it completely opposite in his sermon and say, this is what you must do. This is what you, you must purge this out of your life. You must repent of this. But the text is what God was going to do. He took a text about what God was going to do and gave it about something we must do, right? Because he needed something practical to end his sermon. And now she is going to be like, okay, hey, if you're going to get the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you need expectation and you need emotion or you don't get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Well, wh- wait a minute. Where, where, where do I see law here? Where do I see commandment here? Now, there may be some principles here, but even that you're taking now a historical narrative saying that it's prescriptive and we can get the fullness of the Holy Spirit if we do the things that they did. Now that's making it a prescriptive passage instead of a descriptive passage, and she's not even explained why, hermeneutically, why she's flipped it from a descriptive to a prescriptive. She's not even bothered to explain that in any way, shape, or form. But it's just very subtle. This is what you must do. If you want this, you have to do this. Where the text seems to be like, I'm going to do this, go and wait for it. It, Is that, I mean, I got to read it like, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit because I promised to give you the Holy Spirit, go and wait. Not go and do five things, then I will give it to you. Is it not just the fulfillment of the promise that Christ said that would happen? Amen. Amen. Because there is that example. Amen. And there is that exactness. There is an exactness and there's a sameness uh, to what God is doing. This last revival that happened, whatever God was doing in Toronto 
we began to cry out. Not knowing exactly what we were crying out for, just Holy Spirit. The cry of our hearts was more. There's got to be more. There's a passion raging on the inside of us and saying, Holy Spirit, we need you. Amen. As we began to respond in passion, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And then there was an exactness. There was a sameness of what God is doing. It's like, okay, so he's doing that in Toronto and he's doing that. We say, don't pass us by. We're like the airplane. Stop, wait for us. Give us a ride. Because we knew by the Holy Ghost and prophecy that he, uh, Kenneth Copeland saw him coming like a flame right from Toronto, Ontario and going through the states, ripping through the states. And it's what happened. And there was a sameness. What in the world is going on? All right, so what revival? In, are you talking about the Toronto Blessing Revival? And prophecy from Kenneth Copeland? Kenneth Copeland? Really? That, that is who you're going to get prophecy from? Okay, so now we've got, see, see once again, you're back to the, the charismatic idea of God speaking outside of the Bible. So I don't know exactly which Toronto revival that's being referenced here. I don't know if it's, was it some revival that I missed? Is that the, the famous Toronto blessing revival? Uh, is it is it that? Was that was it the was it the Vineyard revival? Was that in uh, Toronto? I'd ha- have to remember. Um, I, I don't know which one it is, but it was prophesied by Kenneth Copeland. Wow, man! This this world, it, like okay, I, I will just say if you're getting prophetic words from Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, it's uh, it's time to uh, that's that's I don't know what that is. That that's not Christianity. I mean, we we could go through the teachings of Kenneth Copeland, the crazy things he has said and done. I mean, I I think I think there. I mean, do we really? Okay, obviously, right now I can't do all of that. But it, it's like if we need to do that, I guess we can. But there's enough. There's been enough preaching and teaching out there about the dangers of Kenneth Copeland that I don't think I really need to go redo that again. Uh, it's all over the place. So if you're getting prophetic words from him, I mean, that I, I don't know what else to say other than run for your life. All right, let's continue. As God began to break out and do something that was the same. And there was an exactness. And so the disciples, they're, they're trying to get into that and obey Go where Jesus said. They went up to the upper room, the last place they had met with Jesus when they had communion and they broke bread with Jesus. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Amen. And so they went to that specific place, the specific area and followed the Holy Ghost. Show us, Holy Spirit, what to do. Show us how do we yield to you? How do we how do, we do this? Amen. And then... All right, I'm trying to follow the logic here. Okay, so if I go back to Acts chapter 1, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, uh, saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he told them to not depart from Jerusalem. So stay in Jerusalem. And just wait for the promise. 
She keeps making it sound like, well, they obeyed. They obeyed. And they they followed the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. But she's saying that they're following the Holy Spirit. And that's what led them to the upper room. So the Holy, the, the, the Holy Spirit was guiding them while they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And that they were obeying. Well, they obeyed by waiting in Jerusalem. But where does he say where to wait? Like, okay, I'm continuing to read here. Verse six, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? All right, that fits our study of Micah, some things we've been talking about. Um, and then he says, it's, you know, not, it's uh, for the, if you know, it is not for you to know now, now, if I can read correctly, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which a father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive the power. After that, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. All right. And then that, that's, the, that's the end of the commands. Then Jesus leaves, he, he ascends. Then they return to Jerusalem from the Mount of uh, called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper, up into an upper room where uh, abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew. So it, it, where, where is she getting that they obeyed where to go? They obeyed. They obey. If we obey, we can get the full. They obeyed by waiting, going and waiting in Jerusalem. That part is true. But they were just told to go wait there and it was going to happen. Are you saying that if they didn't wait in Jerusalem, it wasn't going to happen? Like, I, I, I don't. Okay, uh, we just got to continue. It's an example. Uh, an example to exemplify for us what this looks like. We have his word. Amen? And so we are being an example. Jesus said, be an example to your brothers. Be an example to one another. Amen? And there's an example in God's word. And there's an example here, for example, the power of unity. That's an example we can't forget. It's huge. It's everything. For the Lord says, where there's unity, I'll command my blessing. How many want the, the Lord to command his blessing? They want the new thing that the Holy Spirit, they don't want, don't pass me by, Lord. And so what is it we have to do? We have to pursue unity. We have to pursue peace. Amen. It's not an option. If you come to bring your gift at the altar and you remember my brother has something against me, Go at once. Leave your gift. Go make right with your brother. I am so sorry. I am sure this really, really hurt you. And I've been part to blame. And I've been part of this. Will you please forgive me? And even when you think you haven't done anything wrong, and maybe you haven't. Some of you heard this testimony. Going to visit my mom in Simcoe and the pastor always land up coming the exact same day and I was exasperated. Why does he always have to come on the one day I want to visit my mom and dad? And then now he's bringing all the elders. Oh, great. And then I said, Holy Ghost, this is not a good attitude. What are you doing here? You're doing this. This is, I don't get it. So as they're talking and I'm just sitting there, the Holy Spirit tells me, ask for forgiveness. I go, and what? I don't even know them. I've never met them before. But I just said, I'm just feeling led to 
say sorry for when I was a little bit of a rebellious teenager in the Christian Reformed Church, and you're not the same people, but here you are, the board, and so I just feel like Holy Spirit wants me to repent. And then a guy starts crying because he had a brother there in the board who he was really had a rift or something. And then it just went on and on. And then my dad repents and everybody's repenting. And from that day, they had a meeting every single week, a prayer meeting. That, so it's like, okay, so what does the word said? Just humble yourself. What do I need to say sorry? I, I don't really even know what... When I when I listen to charismatic preaching, there there are there are charismatic preachers who are great speakers, right? They are great communicators. They have charisma, right? And they they draw in people because of their charisma. They use humor, they they their inflection and in their voice, and they're just good speakers. So you're drawn in by their speaking ability. But in many cases, they don't really exegete the scriptures, handle the scriptures in any meaningful way, right? The the scriptures are just kind of a uh, kind of just a starting point. Like, it's like, here's the scripture and then we just, you can just read it and just launch into anything. That That's kind of like a common thing with charismatic preaching that sometimes is maddening, right? Like you, you just read some scripture and then you just go off in stories and illustrations and say lots of, lots of very spiritual sounding things. But when it's all said and done, what do we learn from that? I'm, what do we learn from the text? I'm still trying to figure out what, what we're supposed to be learning from the book of Acts. According to her own words, we're supposed to be in the book of Acts. This really feels like, and I please do not take this in a dismissive or a, a, a rude way, but this feels like listening to someone who has just started preaching, right? Because when you first start preaching, I mean, you're all over the place, right? You've got all these ideas, you've got all these thoughts, and you're just kind of like, Okay, read a text and you're just all over the place. There's no real structure or organization. I'm not saying that to be dismissive. I'm not saying that in any way to, to say anything negative. I'm just saying that's what it feels like. It's like we're not really dealing with the book of Acts. We're not really dealing with chapter one. We're not really exegeting anything. It's like literally just read a random verse and just, just throw out anything. And that's not... That's not biblical preaching from my vantage point. It, it definitely not from mine. I, we need to know what, like, they were told to go and wait, and they went and waited, and then this is what, and then they were praying, and then this is what happened. Okay? Uh, well, then, well, Judas is replaced, uh, and, and starting in verse 15. I, I do understand that they are unified, Right, that that's good, but okay. When you say unified, what do you mean by unity? I, I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, you could have done this. Hey, today we're going to be in Acts chapter one. I want us to notice that in Acts chapter one, Jesus has told them to go and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and as they're waiting, we see them all in one accord. We see them in one accord. And so today, what we're going to do is I'm just going to take this idea of one accord and talk about what Christianity is and what it isn't. So, I'm, so in other words, I'm not going to really be preaching on Acts, but I'm going to take this concept and then build from it and then really do a topical message on unity. 
All right, that that makes a little bit of sense, but this is just, I, I don't know what this is. I, it's, it's just really weird. Um, okay, I, well, I, I do agree with this. Someone says this reminds me of that Disney movie with the, with the, uh, who get, with the fish who gets distracted easily, wandering from thing to thing. I think it may be called rambling. Well, it, it does feel like rambling a little bit. It does. It just feels like, oh, look here. I mean, she she's trying to organize it because we have expectation. We have emotion. Everything's supposed to be an E. Uh, where's the, how did we get to unity? It was expectation, expectation, and it was uh, emotion. How did we get to unity? Is unity a part of the emotion? Now I'm not even follow, I'm now having a problem following her outline. So let's just see. We we, we just got a few minutes left. I want to finish this so that uh, I can complete the tasks that I was asked to complete. So let let's try to uh, let's. We only got a couple of about, about 13 minutes left. So let's see if we can finish this. Before lots lots, amen. Sorry if I come across wrong, or sorry if whatever, so, sorry. I really, the last thing in my heart was to offend you, to hurt you. I love you. And then, you know, maybe that just gives them enough grace to say, no, it's been me. I'm the one with the problem. Right? And it, it's, why? Because unity is huge. Let, let me state this. Never apologize with the motivation that that will provide enough grace that the other person will be, oh, no, 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 really, it's me. Don't ever go into it that way, okay? that That's just, that's not an apology, okay? If you're apologizing in hopes that the other person will say, oh, wait, you're right, you're right. Actually, it was me. That's not an apology. That is a, a manipul. that's using manipulation. Okay, I'm going to look like I'm sad and then I'm really sorry in hopes that you will realize that you're really the problem after all, right? That, that's, that doesn't work, right? Hey, hey, honey, I'm, I'm really, really sorry that I did this to you. Okay, come on now. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, good. Yeah, yes. Thank you. I'm glad you realized it was really your fault after all. Okay, that. I, what kind of manipulative garbage is that? That's not honest apology. I'm apologizing, hoping that that will give enough grace to the other person for them to really acknowledge that it was them after all. So you're apologizing with hope that it will provide enough grace to the other person that they will then acknowledge it was really them. So then your apology was simply to get their apology to occur. That, that is some manipulative, that is some underhanded nonsense going on there. Okay. Hey, I'm going, I'm just going to apologize. And you know what? I wonder how, how often that doesn't work. Hey, honey, I want you to know I'm really sorry. And they just say, okay, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm really sorry, honey. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm really, really, really sorry. I, yeah, I heard you. No, 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 you did not hear me. I am very sorry. Don't you have something to say? <laughs> okay, that, that's, 
what kind of, what is that? What is that? Is that, is that, is that how Christians apologize? We apologize to, in order to motivate other people to accept responsibility. <laughs> okay. That I, I don't even know if that's a good uh, understanding of apology from a, from a psychological point of view, much less a biblical point of view. And I'm just getting everlasting joy on top of my head right now because it's huge, people. It's huge. Touch your neighbor and say, it's huge. Unity is huge. If we want to experience this fresh wind, uh, God exhaling on his body in a new way, then unity is everything. So the Lord can command his blessing. So it's not going to cost you. What is it going to cost you? You wouldn't even, you haven't even shed any blood, the Word of God says. You, you haven't even ca- shed your blood over this. Amen? Doesn't hurt the reward and the blessing and the joy afterwards. I'm still trying to figure out why happened to the outline. She said everything started with an E. Expectation, emotion, and now we're focusing on unity is huge. Unity is huge. We need, now, now, now there's no there's no doubt we can talk about unity. That's a biblical topic. Being all of the same mind. I mean, we go to Philippians. There's a lot of places we could go. We'll go to 1 Corinthians. We could go to a lot of places, but I, I don't okay. Let's continue. Where's this like I went in way in my car that day and I said, "Holy Spirit, you are awesome." You are awesome. I want to see the awesome. I've been uh, part of, I think, three waves of revival. I, I kind of missed the first one. I was a young teenager, but the Jesus movement. But I remember hearing about it and seeing the cool vans and hearing about this Jesus movement. Then I got to be part of it when the Lord birthed our church, when he poured out maybe 20 years ago in a powerful way, did what only he could do. And and I'm standing on the brink of it again, and I believe this is the last one before Jesus comes. And I've always lived knowing. Oh, boy. Okay, this is like a standard go-to in charismatic theology that there's that last revival. There's a, another revival, and then Jesus is going to come. This is This is a completely... I know this is a specific view in eschatology. I'm just just saying, I reject this view outright, but there's a couple of things here. First of all, charismatics have been saying this forever. This is it. This is the revival that's coming that's going to bring Jesus back. Revival is going to, God is going to pour his spirit out. It's going to spread across the entire world. Hospitals are going to be emptied out. People are going to raise from the dead. Revival is coming. Revival is coming. This is it. I have been hearing that literally nonstop over and over and over, and it never happens, never happens, never happens. And now here we hear it again. This is, we're on the, we're on the, the, the edge of the, of the last revival before Jesus comes here. I don't believe it's going to be revival, then Jesus comes. I believe it's going to be apostasy before Jesus comes. The church is going to get worse and worse and worse. The church is going to utterly, completely fall apart. It's going to become ungodly. It's going to become divided. It's going to become hijacked. It's going to become apostate. That's what we're looking for. I don't know why charismatics think a revival is coming. A revival is not, I don't know where they get that. 
It's always that in the last days, this is going to happen. The church is going to get worse and worse. That these are the things that the Bible describes. But they always like, revival is coming, revival is coming, revival is coming, revival is coming. They've been saying revival is coming and the church is worse now than it was back in the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s. The church continues to steadily go downward. It's completely mind-boggling to me. That no matter how bad the church gets, we're on the brink of the revival. The revival's coming. The revival's coming. And they always, I don't know what. And and to me, revival for them is nothing more than an emotional experience, not correction and doctrine, theology, and biblical preaching. I was going to be part of the grand finale. It's just so exciting. I ain't going anywhere until I see that happening. I know Jesus said it's 12 o'clock. The bridegroom's coming. The cry went out. The bridegroom's coming. So the cry went out. Get the oil. Get the Holy Ghost. Don't miss what I'm about to pour out on the earth. I'm about to exhale once again. Breathe life. Something needed to happen in the churches. God. Have you ever felt that way in an airplane and they got you waiting on the runway and you're going, oh my goodness, you're turning those dials and you're going, there's no oxygen left in here. I'm just telling myself, don't panic. There's no air in here. And that's how it was starting to feel. And it's like, God, breathe, breathe, Holy Spirit. And I don't want to miss it. So what's it going to cost? Maybe it's going to cost us to be that Example, follow the example. They were all together, united in. Okay, the unity is the example. Okay, that, okay, there's the E. Okay, I was so confused. All right, so we have expectation, emotion, and example. And the example, I guess, is the unity. But wouldn't the example be their expectation and their emotion and their unity? So is the, is it just, Example is the point, and these are subpoints. I mean, I'm, I'm. This outline is. Uh, I, I'm. I don't even know what outlining method this is, but this, this outline is all. I'm still trying to figure out the outline. All right, here we go. Prayer. They knew it by their spirit. Amen. They knew it in their spirit, and then we see they respond with eagerness and energy. Amen. Paul talks about this as energy of the Holy Spirit. He energizes us, energizes us. How many could use a little Holy Ghost energy? Amen. New agers have stolen that, but they might say, oh, I feel like such an energy coming off of you. And it's like, it's the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's such an aura in here. And it's like, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the light. He's the fire. He's the breath. He's the energy. Amen. Nothing. All these things come from him. So for from him and to him and through him are all these things. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. It comes from him. Amen. This eagerness and energy is coming. Amen. To stir yourself into that. Oh, Holy Ghost. And we have to get in the flow. You got to get in the flow. You got to connect. Amen. Like plugging yourself in on purpose. When I put something on uh, the electronics, I plug it in. It's like, oh dear, the other day I put in the slow cooker and 
an hour or two later, I thought, I'm just going to check how it's doing. I thought, I forgot to plug the darn thing in. I was like, well, it's not going to work if you don't plug it in. The Holy Spirit isn't going to work unless you plug yourself in. Amen. Until there's an eagerness and an excitement and expectancy. Hallelujah. You have to plug yourself into the Holy Spirit? What? Okay, guys, we need to plug ourselves in. I thought the Holy Spirit was inside of us. How do we plug ourselves into something that's inside of us? He's inside of you, but you got to plug yourself into it. And if you plug yourself into it, then boom, you get the power. And you and you plug yourself into it, I guess, by unity, emotion, expectation. That's how you plug yourself in. There's a lot of what, notice, notice Acts 1 is what God is going to do for them. And now Acts 1 is turned into what we must do in order for God to do something for us. It's just interesting how this gets flipped around being basically a law-based message using Lutheran theological terms. This is a law, a law, when I say a Lutheran understanding of how preaching is law or gospel, I should say, say not necessarily theological terms because we all use the term law, but you get the idea. All right, here we go. Engaging in your spirit. Did you know you can engage your spirit? Amen. You can engage your spirit. It's engaging yourself into what God is doing. Get into the momentum. Get into what he's doing. Oh, God, you're, you're already doing it. And you know how the Lord says, I'm going to use the Christians to make the Jew- Jewish people jealous? I hear of what they're doing on the streets in some cities, and I'm jealous. Do it. Oh, God, okay. So i got to start just where I live. Start praying for every any person I can see around, anyone that I can meet. Amen? We don't go to a parking lot in a, in a, doing a hike without it's a, somebody patting a dog. Sometimes you just got to pat their dog, a nice dog, you know. And, and before you know it, you're connecting and you're telling someone the good news of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is coming again as long as you know him in your heart. And, the, and this old man says, I'm with you 100%. And it's like, good, thank you, God. Amen. Just, we got to get into that, engaging our spirits. For us to get in, you got to jump into what God is doing already. And it seems sometimes like you're mimicking or I feel fake if I'm doing that. Do you know there was a time when people get slain in the spirit every single service and a couple of times in a service and they say, pray for me again. They want another Oh, power surge. They want another experience with the Lord. We could never turn people away. Let me just say this. If you want an experience with the Lord that involves you getting knocked over, um, that's not an experience from the Lord. I don't know what that is other than I would call it from a personal, I'll just say a personal perspective. That's ridiculous. If you want an experience with the Lord, you open up God's word and you expound it and you study it and you memorize it and you meditate on it and you feed upon it and you think about it and you try to apply it and you try to live it. Okay. I don't know what this so experience. I need an experience with the Lord that involves being knocked over. I, I don't know what that is. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't see anywhere. Seek to be knocked over. I don't, that's not a scriptural thing. This is all this, this is all so non-scriptural. This is not even preaching. This is not even teaching. I, I will say this. She seems to be extremely nice, right? She seems to be sweet, nice, great. She seems to have zeal. She seems to have passion for God. That's wonderful. That's great. But this is just a, this is not preaching. This is not handling scriptures correctly. This is a theological train wreck. This is taking what God promised and making it something you have to do. This is just, she she's using a translation that's adding a concept of they had a passion. They gripped onto something with passion, which is not even in the text. It's just, it's sad. I, it, it almost makes me feel bad because I almost feel bad for her. You wish that passion and that zeal could be moved away from this charismatic craziness to just study of God's word and learn how to handle it and study it and doctrine and theology and but, but have that passion and zeal with it. Some people get the study of God's word down, but they're miss, missing the passion and zeal. We want that passion and zeal that she has, but it needs to be then balanced with the study of God's word. I, I, it all, I almost feel bad for her. It almost like, it's almost like you want to just say, oh, come on now. Can we move away from this charismatic stuff? And, and, and you bring that passion and zeal and let's, let's get a, a more biblical doctrine understanding because this is just so, I don't know what, the, there's nothing really, to me, there's nothing even really Christian about any of this. This is just very emotional, new age, spirituality kind of concept. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with historical, biblical Christianity. When they wanted more of the Holy Spirit, what's a cry of the heart? And so we want to get into that place. And what is God saying by a spirit that I believe that he's going to pour out is there's the evangelism. You know, the word says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Do you know the honest truth when God began to pour out spirit? I didn't want tongues. I thought it was freaky. I thought you had to get out of your mind or get in some kind of a weird zone and I wouldn't be in control. And who knows what my mind had thought about all that. But I didn't want it. And I didn't want to see angels. And there was all kinds of things. I didn't want, boo, just let me in this safe zone. That's where I was at one point. And I didn't. But because I came across the word that said, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy, I started to ask for it. Until the day somebody came and stuck a microphone in my face and said, you got a word from the Lord. And I go, God, please, not me. He goes, yeah, you, you're looking over your shoulder, hoping it's somebody else. Uh, you know, and it's just like, okay, you jump into it. And it's like, part of your flesh isn't going to want it. But believe me, your spirit does. Because I wouldn't be here today if I didn't cry out, God, I want what you're doing. I want what you're doing. And then he says, okay, I choose you. Fear not, for I've chosen you. You squawk long enough, they say the squeaky, wheel, <laughs> the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's like the oil of the Holy Ghost squeaking, squawking, and just step into, though you, your flesh isn't going to want it, just do it. Amen? So what is God saying by your spirit? Where do we need to encourage one another? And that's where we're going next. I'm going to just not even go to those next verses. I'm going to just go right into, into this. So how many of you know... He's more than enough. Amen. What he's got is 
more than enough. And the old system didn't work. And I want to take you to Hebrews, and then we're going to have communion. The old system, this is Hebrews 10.1, the old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of all the wonderful blessings to come. Even with a steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there was still nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. For if animal sacrifices could and once for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshipers would have been clean, had clean consciences. But instead, once was not enough. Say not enough. Is not enough. Once was not enough. So, by the repetitive sacrifices, year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still left impure. So then it goes on to talk about the ultimate desire. God didn't want uh, more and more sacrifices, but he said to you, I will be the one to go and do your will to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. That was Jesus. Did you know there's a word written for you? Every day ordained for you was written in his book that he's prepared good works in advance for you to do and that you can enter into those, enter into them through the blood of the lamb. A way has been made, amen, and jumping to verse 19. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly, with no hesitation. For he's dedicated a new and living way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, there's another two. Amen? Just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And then in verse twenty. Oh, those little numbers are getting smaller and smaller, but I'm doing it in Jesus' name. I think it's 25. So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and motivate them toward acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some has formed the habit of doing. That's what we see here in this church and every church across Canada worldwide. Because we need each other. Can I hear an amen? In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager and to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning it's a new day dawning the new day dawning in hebrews is 70 a.d okay the new the day that was approaching in 70 a.d was 70 a.d the destruction of the temple okay so we because a new day is dawning we need to be a pro, this this the, hebrews is to be understood in light of the coming destruction of the temple in 70 a.d it's like is she completely unaware of that fact like she doesn't even know that fact like she's completely misinterpreting that verse horribly 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 but what is what in the world does any of that in hebrews have to do with acts i thought she was preaching acts 
I, I okay, we only got like a, about a 60 seconds left. I'm just going to finish this up. Then I've just got one concluding thought and then we'll take a break and then we'll come back to do what we need to do this morning. But I, I hope this has benefited somehow the person who asked me to do this. But this is it. I, sometimes charismatic sermons make me angry. This one, I just feel bad. It's just it just kind of makes me sad. Because this is so just, I don't know what this is. This isn't preaching. This isn't teaching. I I, I mean, I, this is just, I don't even know what, I, I, I hate to say it, the, the, the person who said this is kind of like rambling, that's kind of what it feels like. I, and, I, I, and I don't want to be mean, but I don't know how else to describe this. We need encouragement. We need to edify one another. We need to stay in the flow. Amen. All these wonderful things that God has for us. And there's going to be a lot that are going to miss it. And the cry went out. It's midnight. Two. This year. Two. Five, seven, eight, two is the number of this year. The 5782, if you missed a part one, is the Jewish year. And then she went through the numbers to say, using numerology, that all of the, that, that basically 5782 is a message from God using numerology. Has nothing to do with the book of Acts. She supposedly is preaching the book of Acts. And now she's concluding her sermon by going back to 5782 from the Jewish calendar. So really, she wasn't preaching the book of Acts. I, I don't even know why this was supposedly a sermon on the book. And why would you end in Hebrews? I am so utterly, completely just confused. Like, this would not work in any just basic freshman-level preaching class. This would not even work in, in, in that category. Because I don't even know what this is. It, it's not preaching. It's not teaching. It's not, it's not any, there's nothing organized. I mean, I've preached some really bad sermons in my life. But I hope that it, they had at least more structure than this. I hope. Some got ready. They were filled. They had their oil lamps ready and trimmed. They knew. They were eagerly awaiting the blessed return of their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They were actively involved in Him purifying them so that they would be eager for good deeds. And then there were some, quick, give us some of your oil. Pray for us, that we too. It's like, you got to go to the source. You got to go to the Holy Ghost. You got to go to him. You should have been doing this. The word went out. The word went out. It's midnight. He's coming. Amen. Hallelujah. I I don't know what to say. To the person who asked me to review this, this is what I would say to you. That sermon was supposedly on Acts chapter 1. At the set aside that it's a female pastor, set aside that it's the passion translation, set aside all of the charismatic theology, set aside the the numerology and saying God is speaking to us through the Jewish 
calendar, set aside that Kenneth Copeland is a source of biblical prophecy, set aside all of that, set aside the adding, you know, using a translation, adding words that are not even in the text, just set aside all of those things that to me completely would tell you to run for your life. When it comes down to it, I would just say this. That was supposedly a sermon on Acts chapter one. At the conclusion, what did you learn about Acts chapter one? Did you increase your understanding of Acts chapter 1 and did the, was the passage exegeted in any meaningful way so that you have a better understanding of Acts chapter 1 so that you have grown as a Christian, that you've grown and equipped so that you will no longer be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine? Did you truly grow in your understanding of Acts chapter 1? Because that was supposedly the text. That was supposedly what was preached. And I think I don't understand Acts chapter 1 any better for listening to that sermon. In fact, I don't have any understanding of Acts chapter one from that sermon. I don't even know what, I don't even know what, I have no, there was nothing there that gave me any better insight. Now I've listened to charismatic preaching that I may disagree with the theology all day, but at least I still got insight in the text, right? Like set aside all of the messed up charismatic theology, at least they dealt with the text and I learned something about the text. I didn't get anything from Acts chapter one. Not a thing. I don't even know, and I don't even know why we ended up in Hebrews. I don't know why we were expounding the Jewish calendar. I, I don't even understand what was going on, but that is just, I'll just end with that. Instead of me making any major judgment, I'm just gonna, you're the one who has to make the judgment. Did you get anything from Acts? You didn't. Add into it all of the other messed up stuff. I, I, I don't know what else I can say. I think, well, I'll put it this way. I don't need to say anything. Everything was said right there in that sermon. Everything that needs to be, that was wrong, was articulated by them. I don't need to articulate anything. It was clear, it was obvious, and it was clear that nobody learned anything about Acts chapter 1. Now, you have to also be gracious to realize that any pastor can have a really bad sermon on any given Sunday, any given Wednesday. If Anyone can have a bad podcast on any given day. So, if that's the normal, then that's not good. If that was a one time, just obviously something wasn't going right, that can happen. And that needs to be, grace and mercy needs to be extended. But not not extended to the all the messed up theology that was present throughout. But the, the, just the way that Acts was handled there, there can be mercy given to that because, uh, but ah, I don't know what else to say other than I'm just gonna stop right there. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We will stop and we'll be back uh, here just shortly to uh, start what technically should be our Sunday school hour, but it's going to, well, I mean, we, hey, we're starting at, we're starting late. I mean, we start late even when people do show up. So, so we can start late when it's just me by myself. All right. So that's what we're going to do. I, I'm not really worried about the clock today. I'm just worried about doing as many things as I need to do and trying to finish up all the things that I need to do as well. So that's what we're going to work on. So I hope you're ready and we'll start here shortly. Thanks for listening. God bless.